study all your moves. Yeah, study this. What's good, everyone? Welcome to the Forbidden Technique podcast on the Fight Side Podcast Network. Coming at you this week, uh, just coming off the heels of the UFC on ABC5, Josh Emmett versus Ilya Taporia. We didn't get a chance to talk about this uh, before the event, but we, like anyone else who knows what's good, was, was picking Ilya Taporia, but I, I was... Um, some of my pick was based on, like, just age and the fact that Josh Emmett kind of didn't look great in his last performance and Ilya Taporia is clearly becoming man. And I thought there was a very strong chance it was going to be, uh, you know, a, a 50-50 fight that ends up being like 70-30 for Ilya Taporia because he's just got more left in the tank. I was sure he was going to get hurt at some point and just kind of have to keep uh, extending exchanges. And um, it was a pretty clinical yet violent, just one-sided ass-whooping for Ilya Taporia, where he showed that he is uh, maybe like the third-best featherweight in the world? Yeah, he he got a 50-42. Uh, disregard the, like, 49-46 that, uh, that one of the judges gave. But, uh, I think it, it might have been a 49-45. Uh, I'm pretty yeah. sure everyone gave a, a 10-8 for that fourth round, because how yeah. could you not? Fifty forty two was the correct uh, call, though. It, it, Most like, likely, yes. I'm not sure which round Josh Emmett was supposed to have won in this fight. Yeah, he got absolutely fucking shit stopped. Uh, I w- I was expecting to pray to win, but I wasn't expecting him to just beat the fuck out of him. I also wasn't expecting to pray his jab to look as clean as it did. Uh, mechanically, it's it's not the best jab you'll see, but the functionality of it is incredibly fucking useful and it hits hard as shit. It's just an incredibly good damage tool. He, he fucked up Josh Emmett's eye really bad just with his jab pretty much. And, uh, it set up a lot more of his shots with his right hand around the guard. Uh, there, there's a really beautiful sequence when he, he got a knockdown. It was like a right hand over the, like over his shoulder, then a left hook and then a right straight piercing the guard. And that was cool as fuck. Uh, to, like Tapuria, he he didn't do anything too flashy throughout the entire fight. He just consistently was getting back to what was winning in the fight, and any mistakes he was making were not large enough to really give Emmett any edge in the fight. Like uh, Tapuria was walking straight back some at some points, but he wasn't getting put on the fence, so it didn't really matter. Like if, if someone is pushing you back and you're you're moving linearly like straight back it's only a problem if you end up hitting the fence normally or or you know if you just like uh get caught by something that surprises you as your opponent covers a, a just yeah. distance really fast that's the thing it was it was all in singular moments when Emmett would commit to a big blitz to try and get himself off the cage because Taporia was just backing him up so consistently. And, you know, like I said, it was only in those singular moments that uh, Taporia was backing up in straight lines. And, uh, you know, if, if Josh Emmett could consistently keep the pressure on and try and push Ilya Taporia out the pocket, then it was all, always just followed by Ilya getting back to work, getting back to his jab and backing Josh Emmett up and just dictating the uh, terms of every exchange and really just making Josh Emmett uncomfortable. And also, also the way that Josh Emmett closes distance, it's not very intimidating uh, when it comes to... It. Like, if you have a good guard, like a good high guard, he's not really going to hurt you that bad if if you have a, a really good chin like Tapuria seems to have. And he also has great body durability. Really anything Emmett was getting through the guard wasn't doing too much. Uh at a certain point, you're not just moving straight back over and over. You're getting out of out of dodge in like the fastest point A to point B way you can. He wasn't getting punished for it at all, so it, it really wasn't an issue. Josh Emmett's obviously a huge puncher, but all, all of his biggest shots come when uh, he's able to draw someone into exchange. And 
have his feet totally planted to just swang a fucking massive hook or overhand that just deads the guy. Uh, you know, he's while he will just use like big flurrying blitzes to push people back in singular moments. Um, he never really catches someone with power as they're like exiting and he suddenly covers distance and um, he's never really able to push people back consistently as part of a strategy because he likes to just kind of uh, take a bunch of time off and move around on the outside and decide what he's going to do next and try and you know, draw people in and just scare them off with one huge fucking punch. So someone who could just uh, stay on him, keep him on the end of a, a sharp jab, and then be ready to just sit down on huge counters whenever Josh Emmett tried to lash out was just going to be super fucking rough for him. Yeah, something I find very unique about Tapuria's style, and uh, it sounds like a bad thing initially, but he he kind of has like a heavyweight's bounce to him. Like he's so heavy and dense. Whenever he's just like resetting into his stance or uh, like just moving his hands around, he he kind of operates like a really good heavyweight with with his physical attributes where he hits really fucking hard. He's crazy strong and he normally wants to go at a a, a bit slower of a pace than other featherweights are expecting. Emmett was actually fighting at a pretty high pace throughout the fight, but it would just get him fucked up because Tapuri was very measured and not exerting too much energy. Uh, I think it, it's definitely a result of Tapuri trying to pace himself well, beautifully. He, he didn't look... It looked like he could have gone several more rounds. His cardio looks perfectly fine. I, I, I think if he's getting the fight he wants, he can go five rounds comfortably, like, very easily. And it, his power is so substantial that he really doesn't even have to put too much speed in anything. He doesn't have to, like, try and whip it out there. He just kind of if he touches you, it's going to fuck you up. And that's all yeah. he was doing with his jab. He was just touching him on the eye. Just touch him on the eye over and over. And that was a, that was a really nice just bit of development for Taporia that I was happy to see in this fight. And maybe it's just because in his last fight, he was fighting Bryce Mitchell and he just thought that he could do whatever he wanted because he kind of could. Uh, but he, you know, he was swinging big, putting himself horrifically off balance. And, you know, I'm just watching that thinking... If this guy could just throw everything 70%, he would be fucking unbeatable. And mostly what he did in this fight, he only really sat down on big swinging hooks whenever he like had Emmett real fucked up and he was trying to go for the finish. Because he's still not an ice cold clinical finisher. Because, uh, you know, in most of the fights, pretty much any fight that he's had uh, up to this point, if he hits people with the shots that he was landing on Emmett over the course of this fight, they just die. Yeah, he's a lot more of a, a knockout artist than he is, uh, like a, a marauder when he hurts someone. Although he did some, he, the fight very much could have been finished at certain points. He was beating the fucking shit out of Emmett. Uh, yeah, that fourth round he, he was fucking brutal. Um, and then I guess in the fifth round, he was kind of just like, "Well, hey, the guy with everything, he's still here," and. I've definitely won this fight, so I might as well just take him down. And he just double-legged Josh Emmett easily and kind of just rode that out for most of the fifth round. Yeah, he coasted a bit towards the beginning of the fifth round, but it's hard to criticize someone for something that Volkanovski and like Leon Edwards do. Uh, a lot yeah, of good I'm, fighters yeah. coast in the fifth round if they're winning very cleanly. And he was winning super fucking hard, and then he still won the round that he was coasting in. So. Yeah, that's the thing. At least he didn't coast in the sense that he was like, you know, that's that's the thing. Volkanovski almost let Brian Ortega back into the fifth round of that fight, um, just because he didn't think Ortega had anything left, and kind of just let him do some shit that he didn't need to do. At least if this is Taporia's version of coasting, he still just dominantly won the round and was in no danger at any point of losing the fight. Yeah, and the, the biggest missteps in the fight for Tapuria were mostly, like we mentioned, the, the moving straight backwards, because that's something that you'll get punished for if you're fighting you know, Max Holloway or, or Volkanovski, but you're not necessarily going to run into issue with in shorter exchanges with some, someone like Josh Emmett. And then his left hook when he was trying to close off exchanges was missing by a mile, but it was more of a, a threat than it was an actual damaging tool or, uh, or something he was trying to land with, it felt like. So how much of that is him just throwing away something that looks like he's, he's trying to pelt you with it 
and how much of that is him just whiffing a left hook. I feel like it was a good 50-50 mix. He he was some of them, it did not feel like he meant to land a left hook. He was just like, hey, this motherfucker needs to get away from me. I'm gonna fucking whip one at him. And and then Emmett would like clockwork pretty much and try and get out of the exchange because it was too dangerous to maintain. So yeah, Ilya Teporia is the fucking man. I mean, we knew this guy was like cool, but I don't know if anyone realized that he was elite and ready for the top of the division at this point. Um, I want to see him fight Max Holloway. Or, you know, assuming that Volk just beats the fuck out of Yaya, just put Ilya Tepori in a title shot. Like, why the fuck not? Yeah, I'd, I'd say if uh, Brian Ortega finally gets over his breakup, then maybe Ilya Tepori versus Brian Ortega. Like, that'd be neat, because it, matchup-wise, it's, it's kind of hard to find a place for Tepori, because uh, they're they're going to make Max fight someone else before he gets a title shot, but kind of deserves a title shot on merit. Uh, and then Tapuria, I, I you're you're probably right. They are probably just going to give it to Max anyways and make Max fight a fucking monster before he could get another fight with Volk. You know, after that third Volk fight, yeah, Max is really going to do something to get back to that title situation. Um, uh, I guess there's also uh, Tapuria versus Yaya Rodriguez. Assuming that Yair doesn't beat Volk. It's a weird situation where for Tapuria versus Max and Volk, I generally trend towards people have a better chance of beating Volkanovski than Max, even though Volkanovski is better. I I just think that matchup-wise, Max Holloway kind of is kryptonite for nearly every other contender in the division. But I actually think Tapuria has a much better chance against Max than he does against Volkanovski. Uh, Mostly because Tapuria seems to operate in kind of the same wheelhouse that Volkanovski does, especially if he uh, takes the Emmett fights like game plan and execution into his, his upper-level fights. Uh, I, I feel like that type of fight against Volkanovski is winnable for him, but it requires so much higher level of thinking than we have reason to believe that he has. Whereas Max Holloway, he just needs to land a sick body shot right overhand, and then like it, he could honestly hurt Max Holloway. He hits hard enough to where he's, he's, he has like the he's him power that he might actually just be the guy that could knock out Max Holloway if anyone can. So I, I, would, I wouldn't pick him, but I think he has a pretty good chance against Max Holloway relative to the Volkanovski. I think Volkanovski would be able to control him with the jab and, uh, and stay on the outside and avoid most of the damage. But either way, there's no... There's no reason even to rush Ilya Teporia into these kind of matchups. Even coming off a win like this, you know, he's still a young guy and there's going to be no harm in uh, just letting him sit around and take some more fights yeah. against, like, I don't know, Arnold Allen. The, the sky's the limit for him. He took basically zero damage in this fight. And relative to other five-run fights, yeah, you're, you're more likely to, to eat more damage fighting Sean Strickland. Uh, which we'll, we'll get into later. <laughs> um, and as for Josh Emmett, honestly, he should probably just retire, right? Yeah, he should retire. He's very old uh, at this point. Like, his, his, his style doesn't translate the same way that it used to, like, two or three years ago. No, and, you know, there's obviously still a bunch of perfectly winnable fights for him at Featherweight if he just still wants to compete, but it's one of them where you look at it and it's like you're approaching 40 years old and, you know, he got to an interim championship and which he got to in a bunch of pretty rough and close fights uh, and then uh, coming off the losing effort in the Yaya Rodriguez fight, he you know takes a you know a step down in rankings, but clearly the best prospect in the division gets absolutely fucking mollywopped. So uh, it you know I feel I feel like if nothing else, Josh Emmett couldn't be uh, satisfied that he found out what his ceiling was in the sport. Yeah, I think Josh Emmett didn't necessarily pose. Uh, a problem for Volkanovski, but I think he was he was an interesting fight. I, I think he would have brought things out of Volkanovski we haven't really seen, and it's a little disappointing that we're not going to end up seeing him fight for the title because uh, you know just on effort he deserved a title shot if not merit. Yeah. So uh, he should probably retire uh, or or I don't know fuck just go just go to like a, a weight class 
just go up a weight class, cut less weight, and uh, and fight like Patty Pimblet. He, he should try and campaign for a fight against Patty Pimblet and then retire. I mean, shouldn't everyone? It, probably, yeah. Uh, really, anyone that can it's make just money in the fight. bank. Yeah, if you're elite or bordering elite, then you should campaign for a fight against Patty Pimblet at, at 155 and, and just like starch him and then, and then, uh, and then run away before they give you someone difficult. Uh, then in the co-main event, we had one of the best fights of the year. Macy Barber versus Amanda Hibas. Wasn't expecting that to be the best fight I've ever seen. It was a fucking war, dude. It was ridiculous. Uh, I, Macy Barber can like kind of strike now. Yeah, I feel like a lot of it is uh, Hibas just being hittable, but Hibas has been hittable against all of her opponents and no one else has looked that good. So, Yeah, and... Um... A version of Macy Barber that we saw not too long ago in the UFC absolutely still could have just gotten completely outclassed by a still extremely hittable Amanda Hebus. Outclassed and probably like, like made to look weak. Uh, not not physically, but like mentally. I think that Macy Barber has honestly come pretty far mentally uh, when it comes to her ability to take an ass whooping. She's kind of always had that. She's always had the dog in her. But... I think her, her problems have been more technical, but like round three, Macy Barber has pretty much always been a thing. She was getting her ass whooped by JJ Aldrich. That's true. But, but that she was a lot, that was a, not long into her UFC career. It, I feel like the difference between this fight and those fights is those fights felt like youthful doggedness, whereas this one just felt like being a dogged fighter. Because a lot of the time, someone that's very young, they'll just have that second win in them if they if they get dropped early, and then they'll come out and like try and scrap really hard. But it, it seemed like she was a fighter that was going to kind of make her break at the, around this age. She's about 25 now. It, it seems like if she isn't something or becoming something by this point, then she's never going to become anything. And it's kind of nice to see that she's she's become pretty good. Yeah, because Macy Barber has always just like had a knack for doing violence. Um, but then she had her like getting dog walked by a veteran prospect loss against uh, Roxanne Modafferi. And then she had her I'm technical now fight against Alexa Grasso, where she was just 20 feet away and never in range to actually land anything that she was threatening. And just got picked apart by a just much more cultured boxer. Um, but still, did she win the third round in that fight as well? I don't remember, but I, I think the fact that uh, she is now like a fight away probably from a title shot does not bode well for her. It, um, probably not because you know, her, her improvements are a lot more just like she, she has like correct technique on just some pretty basic stuff and she can actually just be in range and keep her eye on her opponent and hit them with stuff. And you know, she spent a bunch of this fight just like wanging left high kicks, which if you, it is, is a good strike to just be throwing away against any orthodox boxer. Um, and if you're someone like Amanda Hebus, who is like offensively potent and well versed in all areas of MMA, but is so like focused on what she's doing that when you hit her, she just gets hit the cleanest she's ever been hit by anything and it shocks her so much so you know you know you you, you wag enough left high kicks at amanda he but she couldn't fucking ding her with one and it, it worked something we would have mentioned had we done a like a preview for this card is he bosses chinny she might just get dinged real hard and then get fucked up by macy barber because macy barber hits hard and she has landed a punch on basically everyone she's fought but still, I kind of didn't expect that just because Macy Barber's always such a, just a clubbing, I'm going to just walk up to this person and fuck them up when she's done that in the past. And it's yeah. just not really, it's not really how Amanda Hebush gets hurt most of the time. It's generally tends to be in exchanges when she's just like watching her own work way too much. Like even against Werner Jandaroba, who is not any kind of puncher or that cultured of a striker, but she was just like, I'll just throw down with Amanda Hebush and I'll probably catch her on the end of an exchange and 
fuck her up at some point. I get what you mean. It it did seem initially like uh, Macy had a bit too much Mackenzie Dern in her striking to, yeah. to, to like get a knockdown on Hebus. But she she's come along a decent way. Like I I think she is like a top five prospect now in the division, which is uh, not bad. The division is coming along somewhat. It's slowly, but it's getting there. It is honestly. Um, it's also a lot fresher now that Val's not champ. Yeah, and the, the, there is there is genuinely like we're we're seeing like just a growth in the depth of, of women's flyweight. Division's not actually been around for that long, and it's just taken a little while to actually develop some kind of landscape for 125. But it's actually there in a way that it just isn't at 135 and above. Bus. If she can, she should probably go back to 115. I think if she can't, then that's really rough for her because she is, I do not think she is long for the sport if she stays at this weight class. People just hit harder and she doesn't have any real physical advantages over even the mid-tier. I mean, you say that, that, that the there isn't a bunch of like huge punches in this division, whereas there's some. There's a bunch no. of really like dynamic speed athletes at the top of 115. To, to, to a point they are where, generally higher ranked, though. Yeah. Whereas you know, I, I could see, um, I could see Hibosh getting dinged by pretty much anyone that that is remotely decent at striking in the division, especially like her. She looked better than she had before against Araujo on the feet, but it felt like an outlier. It, it did not feel like that is the new norm. She still was getting hit by things that she generally should be good enough to avoid against Barber. And she just isn't. And she's very hard-headed. She, she does not seem to be progressing mechanically at all, which is a main area. She actually, she just needs to progress. Her punches are very bad. Like they're getting better, but they're still not good. And it's, that's going to be a, like a hard cap. If she, can't put away people on the feet and she isn't insistent enough about grappling with people. And even if she does insist on grappling with them, they're just going to be the same size as her. Whereas at 115, she was a bit stronger. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think Amanda Hebus has roughly the same ceiling at either weight class, to be honest. Yeah. It's, it's a better division if she goes down, but probably a bit easier matchups. And then at this weight class, she's just the same weight as everyone. She doesn't really have a size advantage on, on people. So I, I think it's just, uh, it's kind of like pick your poison. I guess if, if she wants to, if she thinks her chin's going to be better at, at 125, then sure. But I, I don't think it, it equals out I, or even that. I think she would do better if she just has a marked strength advantage on people. And she could, like, her versus Carla Spars is a neat fight. You know, it's a very high level matchup for her relative. Uh, and I, I don't, even know if Crossbows is fighting anymore, but that it's still like a a decent fight, you know. It, theoretically, it just it sets a precedent that she could do okay against certain fights at the elite level. You know, Mackenzie Dern's still up there, and I I wouldn't be entirely surprised if Hebas just kind of fucked her up again. Well, I kind of would be. I I would be surprised if she fucked her up as comfortably, but I wouldn't be that surprised if she won. But then you know, fights like. Uh... Lamosh and Yan Jonan. It's extremely rough for Amanda Hebush. Probably unwinnable. But uh, just just duck them. I, I think Macy Barber should totally just like chase a fight against any of the like previous generation of divisional mainstays. Just fight like Caitlin Chikagian or Lauren Murphy. Oh, Joanne Wood. Uh, Pretty good fight for Macy Yeah, that's, a, that's actually a neat one. Pretty good fight for Macy. Teaches us a little bit more about her if she if she is just able to go up and like Darren Till versus Donald Cerrone. <laughs> it, that's it's basically the exact same. I think that probably is what would happen at this point. But if not, if not that, then uh, fight with Tyler Santos could be pretty neat. Yeah, that that, that would be cool. I, I think my preference is the Joan would fight because it either teaches us that she's able to just go fuck up uh, someone that's old and doesn't like being swarmed, or she's still. Uh, outside striking clinicable. Yeah. It's also probably not going to happen because I think uh, Macy Barber probably dramatically outranks Joanne Wood at this point. Probably. 
but I don't know. It, she she shouldn't be fighting a step up after this fight because it, it was a insane war. I think she should probably just fight about. Yeah, that's what is. I mean. It should it should it should be a fight that's that 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 is apparently a step up, but it's actually a, probably a much easier fight against someone like Caitlin Chikagian. <laughs> and you know what? Like, the, I think a fight against Caitlin Chikagian is still instructive. I agree. There's a version of Macy Barber that's not that long in the past that could get dog walked by Caitlin G. Kagan. I might even pick that to happen now. I think so. Caitlin G. Kagan might also be but. kind of shot. So I think it, it might just be a classic Caitlin G. Kagan fight for like a round and a half. And then Macy Barber just gets mad. Oh, God. That fight's Leota Machida versus Derek Bronson. Um. If it, if it happens now, or Leota Machida versus Eric, Eric Anders. It's it's one of those two fights. Somehow, Caitlin Chikagian is going to end up being Leona Machida there. I don't know how I feel about that, so I'm just going to move on. Just agree. Um, just agree. Uh, Justin Taffer got horrifically poked in the eye by Austin Lane, which is really unfortunate because it happened, what, like 30 seconds into the fight, and this was likely to just be like a, a free KO win for Justin Taffer. And... Uh, it's a long old plane ride home with no win money and one eye. I thought it was really funny that Austin Lane's uh, football experience made him pretty much splay out his fingers like he was trying to like check someone's shoulder and like charge at them. Like that's why he poked him in the eye. It was it was like a football response, which is really funny to me. That, that's the only thing interesting about the fight because it was 29 yeah, seconds. Yeah, I just thought, thought, thought it was lame. I thought we were going to get a funny yeah. Justin Taffer KO over a like, six-foot-seven NFL dude, but nope. Unfortunately no, not. Uh, but David Onama Gabriel Santos. Yeah, this sick. fight was a banger. Gabriel Santos continues to show up in fights that he doesn't win. You know, this guy came in against Lerone Murphy on like a week's notice and uh, put on a fantastic fight where he went to a split with Lerone that a lot of people thought he could have won and um, we're seeing that this is just another one of these random Brazilian dudes who is a, just a genuinely complete finished product fighter who's ready for good matchups he was kind of tooling David and Armour and getting put on bottom sometimes but he has a great like uh, 30 second guard but uh, David and Armour you know we've, we've said this since uh we first saw him um, against Mowgli Benitez, a fight which I'm hoping is going to age well for David Onama and is not, is not just going to be like, oh, Mowgli Benitez got knocked out by this random dude and then David Onama didn't go on to become a thing. Um, you, you know, the, he's clearly, uh, he's just a sharp, offensively focused fighter and the more he gets into these crazy wars that the UFC keep putting him in because he's extremely exciting in every fight he has the more he's just developing this comfort under fire and is going to be able to find those shots more yeah David Onama is he, I think the best attribute he has is that his power and his shot selection doesn't go away completely when he gets horribly tired because he gets tired very quickly he, he seems to be about gassed by the end of the first round every fight and he also seems to be getting his ass whooped as hard as he could possibly be getting by the end of the first round as well. And then he just he just stays in the fight because he hits really hard. And even though he loses a bit of speed, he still maintains uh, his composure and is able to find certain shots. His shot selection is pretty smart. Like the the finish sequence is very nice. He he as he knocked him down while his opponent was falling, did like this really like goofy fuck you right hook, kind of like uh, Adrian Yanez does where it was just very long and, like, whippy. So that that was neat. It, it was uh, not that instructive for Onama's future prospects, I think. It, it was just uh, he, he just had a comeback because he, he hits hard and, and he got the shot selection. Yeah, this is going to happen in David Onama fights every now and again, even yeah. in fights where he's getting his ass whooped, which, let's be real, is literally all of them, even the ones where he wins by first-round knockout. Yeah, uh, like, Gabriel Santos is... He's not even a very large featherweight, and, and he was kind of beat the shit out of Onama. And then it seemed like Onama just sized him a little bit at the end. Uh, or, or at least power bullied him, because Santos landed like as clean of shots on, on Onama, just didn't do as much. But good one for yeah, also Onama. The, the, the uppercut that Onama got Santos with was filthy. It was disgusting. Uh, 
like his sequencing leading up to it was just really fucking tight and and like clinical. He is a good finisher if he hurts you. He just has run up against people that are really fucking hard to finish. Mostly. Like he he hurts kind, uh, kind of weird that he didn't knock out. Yeah. Like really bad. He just he just couldn't finish him. Yeah, Nate Landwehr is someone who's going to fuck you up if you gas. So uh, Brendan Allen fought Bruno Silva. It's kind of sad that Bruno Silva seems to... Like, it seems like he literally became shot just over the course of his fight with Alex Pereira, where he had a, an extremely good showing, where he hung in there with Alex Pereira on the feet for three rounds, made a very good account of himself, even though he ate a bunch of massive shots. And then I, I was just so wrapped up in... Gerald Mearshart just looking like fucking Pernell Whitaker against Bruno Silva. I was just losing my fucking mind over that so much that I didn't even put together that Bruno Silva probably just just taken absolutely life-altering damage in that fight. And that's why, you know, after eating the left hooks of Alex Pereira, it was one from Gerald Mearshart that got the job done. And then, you know, knocking out Brad Tavares in the first two minutes of a fight is not going to tell you anything about where a fight is at in that regard because uh, Brad Tavares is also pretty shot and even in his prime, was a guy who could just get knocked out in the first couple of minutes of a fight by someone who's extremely offensively dynamic. Um, and Brandon Allen is also just... He's, he's really good. <laughs> I was saying to someone in the uh, uh, TFS voice chat uh, before this fight, I was like, yeah, Brandon Allen's really cool. He's basically Charles Oliveira. And this guy was like, the fuck did you just say? How dare you say that about Charles Oliveira? And then he finished Bruno Silva by doing like a sick, like right straight off of a clinch exit and then got to the ground and rear naked choked him. I'm like, see, he's literally Charles Oliveira. Yeah, it was, it was just the Gaethje finish, but less pretty. But uh, honestly, like the right hand was just as nice looking. So like, it, it, was, it was a really nice shot by Brendan Allen. It, it did seem mostly... Uh, dependent on Bruno Silva having worse reactions due to being shot. But also, I, I think we should give Bruno Silva one more fight before we decide that he's shot, mostly because Brendan Allen is just really good. He, he's, he's, it's basically the Gerald, Gerald Mearshart matchup, where it's a guy with some decent striking tricks that can make you look really bad if everything's working for him, and then a really sick jiu-jitsu. Um, Brendan Allen is way more of a hitter than yep. Gerald Mearshart, and probably a more, more dangerous submission artist. Um, it, you know his main thing is he just has no defense, but you know that's working out just fine for Charles Oliveira. Yeah, you only need as much defense as is necessary for the moment or for the exchange. If you eat a, a hard shot and then you just can get up and try and try again, it doesn't really matter. Well, you know, you just need to be able to overwhelm your opponent with your own offense. So you put Brendan Allen's ill. I want to see him fight like. Marvin Vittori? Oh, that that works for me. That sounds fun. Like, like Derek Derek Brunson, Jack Manson, just like anyone any, anyone that's really going to get him in the mix at, at middleweight. Or uh, I, I think they may have already fought in the regionals, but they've both done a whole bunch of shit since then. At some point, we've got to see him uh, against Fluffy Hernandez. I want to see those scrambles, dude. Yeah, at this point, that'd be a very excellent fight. Uh, be, that, that, that's a fucking main event right there, honestly. Yeah, and then give Bruno Silva just a step down. He's fought like the best guys at at a middleweight's journeyman level that you could possibly fight. Even like Chris Curtis or Andre Muniz. Yeah, like know? someone that's still a hard fight, but someone that just has a lot less leverage to just beat the fucking shit out of him. We could uh, give him a fight with uh, Hobo Cop to see uh, who became more shot in the course of one fight. That's a good one. Uh, and then before this fight, we had Neil Magny versus Phil Philip Rowe, which Philip Rowe got got fraud checked for being a length bully that can't hang with someone that is also a lank bully. A little bit, but he also just like lost the Neil Magny fight that everybody loses to Neil Magny if they don't have very specific uh, technical or physical advantages, and like having reach on Neil Magny isn't going to freak him out because. Uh, that's the thing, if you're a much more nascent lank bully than Neil Magny is, then you're going to be the one who's panicking about finally being a reach parity with your opponent. And, you know, yeah, Phil Rowe literally overthrew a right hand into the clinch in the first 
20 seconds of this fight and was just like, well, there you go. It's a Neil Magny yeah, fight. Neil Magny has some of the most fights in the UFC. And he also has al- almost, a, he's uh, up there for amount of actual in octagon time. You know, they pull up that stat all the time. He's up there for significant strikes. Landed. Like he, he's just been in the UFC so fucking long and he's had so many fights. He's not going to run into a match. I would be like, oh shit, what do I do? He's just, I, I, I'm just going to use my length on this guy that's as tall as me. Who gives a shit? I'll jab him up. Yeah. And then every now and again, he's going to run into one of those matchups where it is like, well, what does he do? You know, he's just going to run into a Gilbert Burns or an RDA that can just beat him up without ending up in the clinch. And then if it ends up in the clinch, they can still just take him down and then submit him easily. It seems like if you're at relative like range parity with him, you're almost more likely to get boxed up. Because people that have to kind of close the distance on him, they just close the distance on him and fuck him up really bad. But anyone that tries to have uh, a range kickboxing match with him has severe troubles and, and can't really get too much done because he's, he's very negative uh, to strike with. He, he does a lot of backstepping jabs that are decently timed. It's just hard to get in on someone that has the range insulation and you know, educated veteran timing to just kind of pop you in the mouth if you're getting too froggy. So nothing else really to say about the fight. Uh, should not have been a split. Neil Magny won very clean. I agree. Uh, Randy Brown had a, a pretty tepid fight with Wellington Terman, where Wellington Terman was doing his, I uh, came down from the weight class up, and now I'm going to just try and be a weight bully thing, even though he's still not a particularly large welterweight. Um, and they gave him the largest welterweight they, they possibly could have given him. Did. Yeah, they'll do that. Um, it's like, oh, what, you don't have to bat and wait, Frankie Edgar. Here, fight Corey Sandhake. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. Randy Brown's weird. Like, he, I think he's just, he, he's just such a vibe fighter. If the vibe isn't right, then he's not going to show up. And he has some fights where I'm like, oh, yeah, Randy Brown's really fucking cool. And he does some cool stuff. And then he, sometimes, sometimes he has a fight like this. Yeah. And then often, even in the fights where he does cool stuff, he, he'll just kind of, get weirdly zoned in on a couple of like kind of wonky ideas and kind of drift away from the things that you should be focusing on the, on the fight, like against uh, Trinaldo or Jared Gooden. Mateusz Rubeski just like fucking just kind of walked down. Uh, what the fuck do you say this guy's name? Luik Radzabov, I think. Yeah, that guy. Uh, yeah, I mean, Rubeski just kind of walked up, walked up to him and bombed on him with his low kicks and overhands and knocked him out. Uh, Rubeski is, like, fun. He's a real, just, like, throwback power wrestle boxer. I don't know if he's going to do much, but this is a cool fight. Yep. Uh, Tabitha Ricci versus Jillian Robertson. Uh, incredibly tepid performance by both, honestly. Jillian Robertson needs to switch gyms, and I do not say that lightly. She is not progressing, and they are completely mishandling the way that her game is is going to progress she is stalled out and she's getting worse if anything yeah and this was going to be a rough fight for her either way because tabitha Ricci is just really solid everywhere Uh, she's tiny but she is a good athlete and she's just developed enough striking fundamentals that she was just kind of going to be able to like tool jillian robertson from range and not really have to entertain the grappling but to still just be ready for it when it happened even though you know Tabitha Ricci is nominally a grappler but I think she was just like why bother Jillian Robertson is way larger than me and has the submission record I want to get caught by any fuck shit I'll just do jabs and low kicks from way over there yeah and, and Jillian Robertson being at 115 does absolutely nothing for her her grappling is mostly successful based off of one poor level of competition and two having a, a agility advantage or like a speed advantage on the ground that she does not have at 115. Everyone just outscrambles her or is going yeah. to outscramble her. And she still wasn't stronger. She's not strong. She was still wasn't stronger than Tabitha Ricci, who's another fighter who's making a genuine case that there should be a 105 division in the UFC. So Yeah, they they've mentioned or Dean Thomas has mentioned wanting to structure Jillian Robertson's career like Damian Maya when he, he should be gone for Formiga. You know, just yeah. backpack. Just just backpack. And that's the thing and even then, we're, we're not seeing a lot of the stuff in Gillian Robertson's fights that, that made Damian Meyer such a successful uh, jiu-jitsu guy with kind of whack striking and wrestling. 
that pretty much anyone with any athleticism can apply to their career. Just like fucking, just just sit to half guard, bailing off a single legs and work for sweeps. And even then, like Damien, my he was not the best wrestler. But he was a really fucking good wrestler compared to most other jujitsu uh, to MMA converts. Like he really was like, I need to get good at wrestling. Yeah, he also got kind of okay at boxing. He was just glacially slow. Yeah. Like, like K1 Maya, it, like, it was such a meme, but he also, like, was kind of just, like, bopping Colby Covington up before he just got tired and got uh, foiled by youthful exuberance. So, Gillian Robertson still absolutely 1% of the athlete that Damian Maya was. <laughs> Uh, then, you know, uh, better, more interesting fights, uh, Joshua Van versus Zalgas Zumagulov. Joshua Van uh, the, is cool as shit. And the curse of Zalgas continues. This guy who, like, like a genuinely really cool, neat technician who was a, <clears throat> who was a champion uh, in M1 before the UFC and beat several very good fighters who also had UFC careers. And the judging was just not going his way in this fight. He just doesn't seem to have a very judge-friendly style for whatever reason that is. He's just been on the wrong end of a bunch of pretty fucky split decisions. And now he's come back and has had like multiple short short notice replacements uh, in a row. And then ends up with this guy that no one's heard of who's like 23 and turns out to be really good. It's just, it's been a rough old run for old Juma. It sucks for him. But he's, I mean, he just got back to the UFC. They're not going to cut him off this one loss. And he. I also think he's trying to just fight out his UFC contract so he can go back to fighting in Russia anyway. So. Yeah, I, I don't think that uh, this is a bad look at all for him. Like, they, he fought someone that's really good and he, he was robbed multiple times prior. Yeah, and particularly fighting someone who is not a known quantity on a week's notice when he was supposed to be fighting a completely different matchup on the last card. And then given this guy's age, it's probably safe to assume that he he's made like dramatic improvements since any time that you, you would have been able to study tape on him. Because, I mean, uh, you know, that, that is the upside of this is we got another genuinely really high-quality prospect at 125. To just come out on a week's notice and kind of tool Zhaogus Jumagulov from range. Yeah, his, his boxing's fucking clean. He's, he's a he's a real good fucking boxer, for especially for a twenty one year old. Out jabbed and out low kicked Zhaogus uh, Jumagulov, so that really is not nothing. Didn't have too many glaring flaws, which is incredibly rare for someone fighting someone that's as experienced as Zhaogus. It's not like Zogus is a bad athlete or anything. He just got athlete bullied. Like he he just flatly got outboxed. Uh, Trevor Peak got decisioned. I hope they never cut Trevor Peak. I don't care if he loses ten fights. The guy's yeah. fucking hilarious. Uh, Mara Skull, he's a good fighter though. Uh, it, it seemed like uh, like a bit of a fifty fifty matchup to me. That uh, Peak just kind of got the bad end of. Which is going to happen for him because he has a lot of 50-50 matchups that he, he probably isn't going to win. It's so. got to be almost any fight that he's going to get himself into, even uh, the lower end of this division, because he fights like a fucking lunatic. Uh, Jamal Embers versus Jack Jenkins. Uh, pretty fun. It, overall, not that important of a fight, but Jack Jenkins has cool left hook to the body, right low kicks, and just general combination striking. And Jamal Emmers is as he's been. Mm-hmm. I like Jack Jenkins. He's just one of these uh, weird Aussie dudes from just some random fucking Aussie gym that turns out to be really cool and have this interesting, unique game. And I think he might be the most Aussie dude I've ever seen. With like, like that mustache and that mullet, but his name's Jack Jenkins. Yeah, this guy's sick. Weird Aussie Muay Thai technician. And yeah, Jamal Emmers made a good account of himself. He's low kicked the fuck out of each other. It was cool. There is technically a UFC card this weekend. It's pretty weird. It's like, it's got like a bunch of good fighters in kind of whack fights. And, and I don't know what the fuck's going on with just putting Abu Smagomedov in a main event with Sean Strickland in his second fight in the UFC. Even though he has a pretty extensive uh, regional record, this isn't quite like, 
you know, Jerry Prochaska immediately announcing himself as a top contender in the UFC and going straight into main events and title shots. Um, you know, Maga Madoff, he has a ton of finishes and has fought for some, you know, the biggest organization he's really fought for is KSW. I don't know what's going on here. For some reason, Sean Strickland is now enough of a main event fucking mainstay where he can just be the A-side against some fucking dude who front-kicked Dustin Stolzfus in the mouth. I don't know. Maybe the weird violent guy randomly knocks out Sean Strickland, or maybe Sean Strickland just kind of tepidly outboxes him for 25 minutes. Yeah, I think I'm going to... I'm going to assume he probably tepidly outboxes him for 25 minutes. He actually might just beat the shit out of him because the experience difference at an upper level is dramatic. Um, yeah, they actually have about the same amount of fights. Yeah. But but, almost no. all of Sean Strickland's are in, in the UFC. All experience is the same. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a very puzzling matchmaking to me because... It's not even like he he did like a sick outclass. He just knocked it out in twenty seconds. People do that off the regionals with about the same uh, credentials going into the UFC, and and then have to fight eleven more people before they get a main event. So, yeah, and like I said, it would like you know Jerry Prochaska did it to Volkanuzdemir in his first yeah. UFC fight, and still got into a crazy war, like, and was a champion in. More notable organizations and had decent wins outside the U.S. And also, even just like had a, a like an insane finish rate, like nearly a hundred percent. So it just made more sense overall. Magomedov is a crazy finisher as well, but just like I said, it seems mostly over a can. And then, yeah, we've got like Demiris Magulov's back, and he's cool. He's fine. Grant Dawson, you know, I guess Demiris Magulov got out wrestled in his last fight, but. Was by Armin Sarukian. It's like one of the best wrestler grapplers in in the division, if not like the sport of MMA. Uh, and to say Demiris Magulov, still a pretty fucking stout defensive wrestler. Probably just like going to not get taken down by Grant Dawson and uh, jab him up. I should hope. I think it's a real possibility, but uh, I don't know. Grant Dawson's gritty as fuck. He, he can pull out weird shit. And uh, Demir has he he's not looked impenetrable. Michael Morales is fighting Max Griffin. I enjoy Michael Morales, and I thought it was a shame that he couldn't fight more last year because all of his fights are just uh, extremely wacky and violent. And he knocks people out with really funny looking punches that don't look like they should be able to land with power. So that's fun. Watch out for that guy. Uh, Ishmael Bonfim is back. Uh, you know, a guy who absolutely announced himself as a complete product and a future contender in his UFC debut. He's fighting Benoit Sandini for some reason, who's like, okay. But I'm like, I, like, I already want to see Ishmael Bonfim fighting guys like Drew Dober. Kevin Lee is headlining the prelims against Renit Fakratinov, who's just a, just a big sticky wrestler dude who's gonna get a fucking ugly fight out of Kevin Lee if not beat him because Kevin Lee is uh, in the mist yeah uh, I don't really know why Kevin Lee is getting this very awkward placement in fight but uh against this guy yeah like it's not a bad fighter to be going against it's just uh I don't know you it's it just seems like kind of goofy like it seems like they they were like who are two welterweights and then they're like okay yeah sure i mean here's the thing you know even though fakratina wasn't around at that point this is exactly the kind of fight that kevin lee probably should have been taking when he first decided to make the move to 170 rather than being like uh, immediately going up into a main event against rafael dos anjos it's like if dustin poirier's first fight at lightweight had been against fucking eddie alvarez uh, a winnable star matchup, but a, a, a very good fighter and a, a hard fight to have a new weight when like already coming off of losses and stuff. So it's it's almost like he's like realized that his prospect development was less than ideal and is trying to do it again now when he is uh, how old is Kevin Lee? Only only thirty. Yeah, only thirty, but he's been around for a while and yeah, and just seems to uh, some combination of has been figured out. And 
just can't get his shit together. So I, I, I don't know what's going to happen there. He also, he also hasn't fought in a while. In his last fight, he looked really bad against Diego Sanchez. Yeah. So, you know, like we don't really have much of a reason to believe he he doesn't lose this matchup. No. This is a, a large wrestler that, you know, hits hard enough. And Kevin Lee has not looked good in really any regard since the Charles Oliveira fight, really. No. It's kind of wacko. He, he looked, and even then, he still lost, like, decisively. Yeah, it was to Charles Oliveira, though, you know? It was a shame, though. I always liked Kevin Lee. And, um, Guram Kutataladze? Fighting Elves Brenner? I know it's supposed to be pronounced Elvis, but it's spelt like it's pronounced Elves, and I think it's really funny that there's a guy called Elves. Um... I guess I think this is just another short notice situation where both guys have probably. This is probably a fight that was originally two different people entirely that has been like repeatedly short notice replacement on either side. Uh, yeah, nice, nice little Lord of the Rings battle though. You know, uh, a guy that looks like and a dwarf versus a guy that is called Elves. <laughs> elves Brandon totally didn't beat Zubaira Tukagov in his uh, UFC debut, so he really should get splattered by Guram, but I, I don't know what's going on with Guram. He's not just he's just not been as active as you, you would like to see, because uh, he's a really cool fighter. And uh, a fight that is kind of... I would be very surprised if it's not a decision. Uh, Alexander Rosen- Romanov versus Blago Ivanov. Like, I would just be surprised that isn't a decision. Mmm... Uh, and Romanov could break, but Blago Ivanov doesn't really have the ability to push pace anymore, or really ever. No, but um, no, but Romanov broke so instantaneously in his last fight against Volkov that it's like, I mean, you you know, Volkov can like go out and fuck you up in the first round, but it was like he landed one front kick and Romanov was just like, oh no. And he looked disheveled. He just looked like he didn't want to be there. I don't know. It could it could have been an outlier, though. You know, you never know what that type of one. You got to see more than just one, I think. Yeah, but I just mean if that if that version of Romanov turns up again, you know, even a guy who's uh, you know Blago Ivanov's whole thing is hanging around. So I don't know. This card is weird. I agree. Well, that's it then. We're going to get the fuck out of here. Uh, as always, if you enjoyed this content and all the other great stuff that the Fight Side puts out, please consider supporting us on Patreon, where a pledge of just $5 gains access to a huge library of really high-quality analytical fight content and also to a Discord server where we have a great community. This has been the Forbidden Technique Podcast. We'll catch you next week where we'll talk about any fucking cool shit that happens on this card and an A, capital A, Capital G, actually good card. Double championship headliner with uh, Alexander Volkanovsky defending against Yaya Rodriguez. Got Brandon Moreno versus Pantoja 3, I want to say. Uh, Bobby Knuckles is fighting DDP, fucking Dan Hooker, Jalen. To- <sighs> Robbie Lawler versus Nico Price? Okay, we'll see you guys later. Later. Later.